Good morning again, church family. My name is Brian Hoover. I'll be reading the scripture for us today in 2 Corinthians. You can follow along in the Pew Bibles on page 908. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 13. Paul writes, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. This is God's word given for us. Pastor Ben and I have now worked together for eight years. And these are our last two sermons in the same church, mine this week and his next week. For those new or visiting, I'll mention that he'll be leaving to plant Midtown Community Church. You've heard it alluded to. And I'll be staying here. We chose to preach both sermons from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth that we call 2 Corinthians. It's Paul's last letter to that church. And among all the letters he wrote, it's his most personal. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we don't necessarily ask that ministry would get easier or the cost of discipleship would diminish. But we do ask that you would help us to see your worth for what it really is, the treasure that's hidden in a field. Increase our eyes to see that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When Ben and I talked about this, we said we'd like to pull back the curtain. Pull back the curtain of pastoral ministry a bit. And when we said that, we both kind of chuckled because even though the phrase gets used often to pull back the curtain, um, it doesn't have an entirely positive connotation. In the Wizard of Oz, when the little dog Toto goes back and, and pulls back the curtain, right? Um, and everyone beholds the great Oz, they see he's not so great. 
He's an imposter. And that scene is the source of the comedic line, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? As the man behind the curtain is panicking. When Ben and I said we wanted to pull back the curtain to pastoral ministry, that's not exactly what we mean, but it's sort of what we mean. There's only one great shepherd of the sheep, and it's not any local church pastor. Jesus, as it says in Hebrews, is the great shepherd of the sheep, and as he tells us in Matthew, the one who builds his church. And the rest of us are, as Paul says in verse 4 of this passage, just God's servants. It's a really special thing to be one of God's servants. Paul knew that. I'm coming to know it more and more, and Ben is coming to know it more and more as well. In these two weeks before we plant a church, we, we could have gone on with business as usual. We could have started again from the Gospel of John, and, and, and that's what we're going to do. We finished in May the last verse of chapter 8, and October 1st, we're going to pick up the first verse in chapter 9. That's what we often do, but we, but, but we didn't want to do that yet. We wanted to embrace this brief moment we have before we launch this new church, yet we didn't want to be all cheerleader about it. We, we didn't want to be preach this rah, rah, rah sermon about church planning because we've done that, been more than me. He's had to go around various churches, have invited him to speak, and yay, 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 church planning. And, and, and we believe that. It's just, we've done that. You've heard it. We wanted to do something more gritty, something more transparent. We wanted to do something more like what Paul did in 2 Corinthians. He and the other leaders who wrote with him. It's fair to say they had been through some hard stuff, both separately, as Paul traveled around with his traveling companions, but, but also together, they'd been through some hard stuff. In the opening chapter, Paul writes, quote, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He tells the church that ministry became so hard that he wanted more to die than to continue in ministry. That's gritty. That's transparent. Ministry didn't get so hard during COVID that I wanted to die. It didn't get there. But I'm not sure I wanted to be your pastor. I'm not sure I wanted to be anybody's pastor. It got that hard. And not only had Paul been through trials generally in his, trial, or his travels, but he also had been trial, through trials specifically with this church. In fact, when you piece together the details of this letter, and I, won't, I don't want to use the word bore you with that because I don't think it's boring, but I don't want to use our time here to poke around all the details. I'm just going to give you the answer. When you poke around all the details, you realize that there were other letters, ones we don't have anymore. 
We have First and Second Corinthians, but there were really probably four letters he had written, at least as he alluded to all these other letters. And he wrote a letter right before this letter that we call Second Corinthians, and that was a hard letter to write, and it was a hard letter to receive. The church had been in deep sin, and they needed a loving rebuke, and Paul gave it to them. <laughs> And that rebuke letter was so hard. You, I mean, I don't know how you envision Paul like, oh, I just send a rebuke letter and skin off my back. It's not Paul. That rebuke letter was so hard to send that at least for a short time, Paul regretted even writing it. Worried that their grief in receiving it would cause them to spiral away from Christ rather than spiraling towards Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, 8. And he was so nervous that he didn't even want to see them again after that painful letter. So when you piece together the details from Acts chapter 20 and other parts of 2 Corinthians, you realize he didn't go see them. He sent Titus, his, his friend, his ministry companion, to go see them just to, like, is it okay? Do they hate me? Like, when I see them again, is it going to be terrible? Paul and his people, we might say, they got history together. And all of that history for Paul could have caused him, could have caused him to close his heart to them. That would have been normal. That would have been natural. You don't love me? I don't love you. That's normal. That's natural. The, the lack of reciprocal love by a pastor from his people, the nature of the need for an occasional rebuke from a pastor to his people, the disgrace and dangers from being a Christian leader socially out in the world, not to mention the pastor's own sinful bent and insecurities, all of that could have, could have conspired to restrict a minister's heart to his people and their heart to them, him. That, however, is not what happened. It's not what happened. I describe 2 Corinthians like a beautiful sunflower growing in this crack in a parking lot. Like it's not supposed to be there. Only weeds grow in small cracks without soil. There's so much working against a pastor's heart being affectionately inclined towards his people and his people's heart towards him. There always is. In Corinth, Ephesus, Harrisburg, Midtown. There are so many things that could make a pastor's heart towards his people and their heart towards him restricted. Didn't happen for Paul, though. We've got to strive to make it not happen here. So here we go. With all this in mind, we take up the themes of chapter 6 where we find not a cold heart, but a warm heart. And as we go through these verses, I just want to, I want to tell you, 20 years ago, probably almost to the month-ish, I sat in a church in Columbia, Missouri, as a preacher named Phil Schaefer preached these very passages, and it was part of what God used, not part, not all, not all of it, but part of what God used to call me into pastoral ministry. I just want to say, maybe he'll do the same today. Maybe. Usually don't make a, like, claims like that, where applications we're thinking like, oh, we're going to do this next week, like whatever, you know, like we don't say like, maybe some of you go missionaries in Africa, like I don't, we don't do that, but, but maybe, maybe. 
In this passage, we see four aspects of a pastor's heart for his people. And I could preach 50 minutes on each of these. I'm going to try and just preach five on each, four of them. First, we see the phrase, not in vain. So just leave, leave it open if you have it there. It's going to be helpful to keep seeing it. 2 Corinthians 6, first phrase, not in vain. To say it positively, we'd say that Paul's heart is that God's grace and his own ministry would be, it's a fancy theological world, effectual. In other words, the grace of God would do stuff, good stuff, among them and through them and in them, both now and forever. That phrase, not in vain, comes from verse 1, which I'll read again. Working together with him, meaning with God, Paul says, then we appeal. It's strong wording he uses. We appeal to you to not receive the grace of God in vain. I will tell you that this concern, this heart of a pastor, of Paul's heart, is not theoretical. Paul saw, as every pastor sees, people who seem to have this casual relationship with God. You hear my voice, God, right? I'm doing that on purpose. Casual relationship with God. Like we see that and, and it worried Paul. It worries pastors. You, some of you worry me. On vacation this summer, I, I started reading a book called Diary of a Pastor's Soul. <laughs> pastors and their vacations, right? Here we are, I'm reading Diary of a Pastor's Soul like this. That's what I started. Uh, I actually left my laptop on Harrisburg. I left my wallet. I left, <laughs> we left and I dropped, left a bunch of things. So I was left with the, the one book I had and a book on writing. And I read both of them. But the Diary of a Pastor's Soul, it's, it's this fictionalized account of a pastor in his last year uh, as he's moving towards retirement. So fictionalized. So the guy who wrote it, been in ministry 37 years, and then he wrote this book, and so it's fictionalized, meaning like it's, it's made of stories, but it's real, sort of. You know, names changed to protect the innocent or whatever. And so these 30, you know, uh, 52 weeks, he's writing one devotional week, things he's learned. Anyway, in the preface to the book, the author had this line that I read on vacation. I just can't stop thinking about it since. It relates to this idea of a pastor's heart that his people not receive the grace of God in vain and his pastoral ministry in vain. He writes, most pastors, excuse me, what most pastors are thinking about as they drive home from their retirement party is not how excited they are to be free from the church. They're thinking that it all went by pretty fast. Costs so much more than they could have anticipated and profoundly changed them along the way. And they're reassuring themselves that they made a difference with this use of their lives. What was Paul's heart for his people? What Ben and I and the other pastors of this church have a heart for? What Craig Barnes, the author of this book who wrote that, what, what all pastors have a heart for is that God's grace would be effectual in the lives of the people they pastor, that the grace of God would make a difference and not be received in vain. Paul labored so that the gospel would become real, so real that marriages that couldn't heal can heal. 
that the people who couldn't have persevered through loneliness could supernaturally persevere through loneliness among a people, a community, a church. That the grace of God would be so real that people who couldn't imagine making life choices for any other reason than money or the standard reasons that everybody out in the world makes decisions could start to make decisions, radical ones, based on categories that have nothing to do with the things that the world is making decisions on. Paul is desirous, he's longing, he's appealing that the gospel would have such an effect that people who could not formally get along and be reconciled and sit in the same church could find a place of repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation that could not have existed. That's what it means for the grace of God to not be received in vain. That's Paul's heart. That's that's our heart too. That's number one. Okay, three more. Second, Paul's heart was that he would not be an obstacle to their joy in Christ. Rather, Paul's heart was that the esteem for Christ among his people would increase through his ministry. He wanted people to say, I love Jesus more because of that man's ministry, not I'm deconstructing, I'm shipwrecking my faith because of that man's ministry. We see this in verses 4 through 8. Let me read them again. Actually, 3 through 8. He writes, We put no obstacle. That's the word. Not an obstacle. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. See, there's even a, like a differentiation. It's like, I'm not really worried about me, but like the ministry. Like, like Jesus. Like he wants there to be an esteem for that. Like, what do you think of him? I don't know whatever, but the ministry would be that Christ would be regarded as holy. Verse 4, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and affliction, hardship, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, then he pivots a little here, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, just throw that in there, genuine love by truthful speech, by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. Lots of ways we could explore these verses. We might point out that the suffering he endures, the imprisonments, the beatings, that's one kind of category of this commending that he's doing, this removing of obstacle. But what's the obstacle? that he's removing with the way he's going about ministry, embracing suffering and hardship. What's, what's, what's he doing there? What's, what obstacle falls away? Well, Paul points this out, his sufferings, to his people in a context there in Corinth, and probably our own, in a context where there was essentially a pyramid scheme of preachers and traveling speakers. So in Corinth at the time, the proof of your competence as a speaker was the size of your following and the material blessings you acquired along the way. In other words, if you can get a huge speaking fee and fill a stadium, then you're legit. Into that context, Paul says, you want to know how my love and ministry are legit? Well, I do this when it hurts. Paul's heart is that the proof of his sincere love would be seen in his suffering. 
And there are also those positive, so like there's the negative, like called negative, but the things he embraces that are hard, and then there's the positive virtues or character traits that he pursues to cultivate. And I'll just point out that in a hostile world, like a world hostile to the gospel, a world hostile to the message of, 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 of one God who loves people, but, but he calls those people he loves to repent and to change, that, that, that message that feels like an obstacle and offensive in Paul's world and probably to some degree our own, Paul, Paul sees that hostility in the, in the world and Paul's heart is still to cultivate what? What does it say? Patience, kindness, Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech. Paul's heart in a hostile world was that the world was not so hostile that we just got to give up on kindness and love. Paul believed by the Holy Spirit that kindness and truth coexist in his ministry just as they do in God. Your pastors here feel the same. Third, we come to the phrase not superficial, or I come to it. Paul's heart was that Together, they would not embrace superficial identities. Now, the words not in vain and not an obstacle, they're in the text. I admit the words not superficial, or they're not, those words are not in the text. But that's my way of describing the realities Paul describes. Paul's heart is that they would not have a superficial view of their identity. To say it positively, Paul's heart was that gospel realities would be their truest truths. I'll explain what I mean, but let me, let me read back half of 8 all the way through 10. Look at it with me, starting with the phrase, we are treated. We are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. And I remember where I was sitting back two-thirds of the sanctuary off to the, my left, I guess that's right, I don't know, when I heard these verses preached 20 years ago, and I remember writing in the bulletin, I want this for my life. Sorrowful, to, to, to know God in such a way that could be sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. And again, this is, this is my way of, of describing, like to say not superficial, that's my way of describing Paul's heart here. He doesn't want to be superficial in his deepest identity, but rather his heart for the way that gospel realities become our, what I'll say is truest truths. Take the line, poor, yet making many rich. Some people, when they look at these, they, they, they contrast them to mean something like, on the one hand, regarded this way, poor, regarded as poor, but on the other hand, we're actually rich in Christ. And th th that sort of works. It's not entirely wrong by any means. It's, it's, I would say mostly right, I think. But I think that's a bit more nuanced than that. Paul couldn't just be, like from one angle, regarded as poor. Like if you look at it this one way, let's regard him as poor. He was actually poor. 
So what, what is he doing in these contrasts? Paul didn't want to be regarded merely superficially, but rather that the gospel realities would be as true as truths. Here's what I mean. If you have all the money in the world, but you don't have the riches of God in the gospel, then that's poverty. I'll take another. To be known in this world is to be famous. That could be fun, right? Be famous. But if you are known in the world and not known by God, that's a superficial fun. To have everything but not have God is a superficial joy. But to be known and loved by God, to, ha- to have nothing in this world but to have God, to have all kinds of ministry situations and roles that at times make you sorrowful, but to have gospel realities true in your life, that's true joy, Paul says. Do you believe that? Do you know that? In the chapter before, Paul wrote that Jesus, chapter 5, verse 21, that Jesus knew no sin, became sin for us on the cross, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. He takes our sin, gives us his righteousness. It's wild. And when you draw the curtain back, we see that Paul's heart was that his people would know these gospel realities of a crucified Savior who takes away sin and gives righteousness and would know them in such a way that they would be his truest truths and highest joys. He wanted them to know them in such a way that they could be sorrowful, yet mingled in whatever sorrow they experienced, there would be a joy that would be strong and sturdy and solid, something deeper and more lasting. This is pastoring. But if you ask me, I would just say, that's the Christian life. It's not just pastoring. It's the Christian life, the fight to embrace gospel realities that are truest truths. Okay. Finally, we come to the last knot. Not in vain, not an obstacle, not superficial. Now we see not restricted. Not restricted. To say it positively, Paul's heart was that mutual affection would flow between them. Look with me at verses 11 to 13. We have spoken to you freely, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but... You are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. That line about children could sound demeaning. That's not how Paul means it. He means it in an endearing way. 1 Corinthians 1, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 4, 15 first book, letter. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, guides, you got a lot of people to lead you, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Close quote. Paul loved them as a loving father. He wanted their hearts to not be restricted. Yes, they had their history together, and that history could have made, indeed, should have made, really, it should have made their relationship full of thorns and thistles. But here Paul was, like this this sunflower, just seven feet tall in the middle of a parking lot. 
Loving people, opening his heart wide to people who had hurt him deeply. People who didn't love him back, at least on the whole. At least not yet. And this vision of pastoral ministry that Paul has here is not, is not one of exchanging goods and services for pay, merely. Paul's ministry among them was not like Facebook Marketplace. What I mean by that is, you want something great, I'll give it to you for a price. You want sermons, you want leadership, you want truth, here's the price. That wasn't Paul. That's not ministry. He labors among them as a father who loves and longs for them to love him back and to follow him as, they, as he follows Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Yet they're closed off. The word used here is restricted. He says, quote, you are restricted in your own affections. I hear that and I think, as probably some of you do, human body, the heart, veins, arteries, cholesterol, plaque buildup. Your body needs veins and arteries that are open, not clogged. Restrictions can cause heart attacks and strokes. Paul is saying to them, my affection is flowing this way, but it's not flowing back. And by the way, this is not a rebuke because I don't feel this of you acutely, and so like, this is my like, way to, like, mm, I'm going to get him, this is my one chance. I just feel like I need to put that in here. Like, this is not my version of the Paul's letter that he didn't send, or sent that we don't have. Like, oh, this is my sermon. The, the, the heart, the painful letter, the painful sermon. It's not this. I'm just telling you what's written here, all right? So I'm not just telling you what's written here. Like, I want us to receive this and be this and grow together in this. I, I do mean that. But I can preach this here because it's fairly easy to do because you don't, you don't sting. You're not that hard to pastor. Anyway, he doesn't want to be restricted. And he's asking them, he's giving them an opportunity to consider, like, why am I restricted? Just like the issue of not receiving grace in vain, here, the issue of restricted affection was not theoretical to Paul, or in some cases to me, to us. I remember a guy I'll call Steve. Steve was at first church I was at when I was first on staff at church, so not here, a long ways away from here. And I had just been hired like maybe three weeks. And um, I was hired as the associate pastor of Connections. It was a large church, probably um, quite a bit bigger than ours. And, and, and I was going to help get people connected. And, and, I, and I'm handing out bulletins. I don't know what to do. I've been there three weeks, so what do you, how do you get people connected? So I stand at the front door and I hand out bulletins. That's all I know how to do at the beginning. And uh, so I'm handing these bulletins out, and Steve comes up, um, and he says hello, and he says, so you're the new guy. And uh, you know, he wasn't like being condescending, it was kind of a smirk, and he was funny. And uh, he's like, new guy. I was like, yeah, I'm a new guy. He's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, I get people connected. And uh, that's what I do. And uh, so Steve kind of raises his eyebrows, he goes, oh. And I look at him real serious, I say, Steve, do you feel connected? And uh, he takes the bulletin from my hands and he says, I've told you this. I'm as connected as I want to be. <laughs> and he walks into church. <laughs> this picture is like, I don't know, this won't connect here with the Heisman Trophy football-like stance when he's just like, I got my stiff arm here. Like, I, I'm as connected as I want to be. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
Steve and I became friends. He became our realtor when we bought and sold a house in Tucson. What you don't know about Steve and what I didn't know when he told me that he was as connected as he wanted to be is that Steve was at church, but he was healing. He was healing. He had been a pastor at another church and failed and lost his marriage, and he was pretty broken. And he was as connected as he wanted to be at that time. But what I loved about Steve was that he knew being restricted or guarded was not his long-term strategy. I wonder this about some of you, to be honest. I I do wonder this about some of you. You're connected as you want to be, but I'm asking you the question, is that your long-term strategy? Paul's heart and the heart of the pastors here at our church in Midtown would be that we're doing something more than Facebook Marketplace, more than dispassionate, aloof, exchanging of religious goods and services. You want a sermon? So pay me. I want money, so I preach. Paul longs for something more than that for him and for them. I think all pastors do. I think you do. So just ask yourself, if you're restricted in any way at our church, I just, just why? Like, why might that be? Maybe there are good reasons. Maybe there are bad reasons. Maybe it's because there's a time of healing. Maybe we've hurt you. Maybe we need to work that through together. Maybe someone else did. But I just want to ask, is that your 10-year plan to be casually connected? I don't think it's a good plan. My heart for you is something more than mere attendance. And for those going to Midtown, I love you. (laughs) It's going to be sad to see you go. I want you to know Ben loves you. He is not restricted in his love and appreciation of you. That's not who he is. He is what you get on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. A guy who loves hard. Don't be that way towards him that is restricted or to Greg, or other leaders, or anyone. So we come to the conclusion. How might I summarize all of this? This heart language that Paul has for ministry. How do we summarize this? Not in vain, but that God's grace and his ministry would be effectual. Not an obstacle, but that his life would increase esteem for Christ of those around him. Not superficial, but gospel realities would be the truest truths. Not restricted, but mutual affection would flow between them. How how do we summarize this? I would say that behind the not in vain, behind the not an obstacle, behind the not superficial, behind the not restricted, Paul's heart would be that his gospel ministry would look like the gospel. (laughs) It's not that complicated. Paul's heart was that his gospel ministry would look like the gospel. In short, these four phrases, these impulses of a pastor's heart for his people are displayed in Christ's heart for his people in the gospel. The gospel Paul received from Jesus was not in vain. Jesus lived, died, rose, and will come again, and it will not be for nothing. 
The message of the cross and resurrection, the message of the grace of Christ produces life. It did for Paul, it still does. And while the words of Jesus and his life and his death can be viewed as offensive and an obstacle, rightly understood, he's not an offense, he's not an obstacle. Jesus suffers and endures and loves and he does it all with purity and truth and in the power of the Holy Spirit so that people would esteem him and love him and know him. And Paul wants his gospel ministry to be like the gospel in that it's not superficial truths that change the deepest realities forever. The deepest truths that change the deepest realities forever. And perhaps most especially, in the gospel message, Jesus loves us before we love him. How does Paul do this? Well, Jesus dies before people would die for him. Jesus suffers before people would even care about him. Paul's ministry Paul's heart for his people looks like unrestricted love to people that are still restricted because the gospel message he received was that way for him. And that gospel message of Christ who is rich becoming poor, 2 Corinthians 8, is a beautiful message. And it changed him and it changed the church in Corinth or was changing it and it's still changing pastors and it's changing people all over the world. And it is that gospel message, the only thing that will change pastors in Harrisburg and Midtown. There's not a great wizard of Oz behind the pulpit of any church. But there's a great savior and his name is Jesus. So we've talked about a pastor's heart for his people. Next week, Ben will preach from this same letter about where a people's power for ministry comes from. If they are not to receive the grace in vain, if they are not to be an obstacle, if they are not to be superficial, if they are not to be restricted, how's that going to happen? How's a sunflower grow without soil? Well, Pastor Ben will explain that next week, so come back. (laughs) Let's invite the music team to come forward, and I'll close us in prayer, and then we'll have a time of singing. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those seasons in ministry when the wind is at our back and we run downhill together. (laughs) Lord, there are other seasons too that feel uphill and feel into the wind. And in some ways, they're all together all the time at once. Lord, you be our rock. You be our chief shepherd. And lead us to greener pastures. For the glory of your son. His name we pray.